My favorite way to unwind and dive into something more fun is June's Journey. The game lets me channel my inner detective and unlock compelling stories, strong female characters, and a mystery I want to solve. If you like true crime podcasts, it's the perfect game to play along while you listen. The Hidden Object Mystery Game will put your detective skills to the test in the roaring 1920s. You play as June Parker as she tries to solve her sister's murder and along the way uncovers family secrets. Chat and play with or against other players by joining a detective club. Mystery, danger, romance all await you if you download the game now. I'm on chapter four and wondering how these clues will help me crack the case of who did it and why. June needs your help, detective. Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. Do you ever wonder where all your money went? Like every single time you look at your bank account? Honestly, it's probably all those subscriptions. I felt that way too, until I got Rocket Money. Rocket Money helped me see all the subscriptions I'm paying for, and it was eye-opening. Between streaming services, fitness apps, delivery services, it all adds up so quickly. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over 500 million in canceled subscriptions. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. That's rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. Rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. They were a beautiful couple devoted to their faith and their young son. They were very happy, very much in love. We were all content. No real big dreams, just trying to be happy, you know. But then, a brutal shooting shatters the happiness they've built together. I heard gunshots, heard her scream. I heard them execute her. This tragedy is only part of a terrifying crime spree. We learned of another homicide in Yamhill County. Screaming, why did you shoot me? At the scenes of these horrific crimes lie unsettling clues. He showed me what was written on the wall in there, trust in Jesus. The path to justice leads police to a cluster of believers with a twisted take on religion. They believe they had angels telling them instructions about this extreme possession of people's souls by an evil satanic influence. If you have demons in you, you're totaled. They believe these people were totaled and they needed to die. It's just sort of sends a little chill up your neck. Let God be that judge. It's not your job to eliminate people. Oregon, a small community off Interstate 5 in the southwest corner of the state. On November 5, 1988, just before 10 p.m., Evelyn Drake is watching television when a pounding at her front door startles her. Outside is her neighbor, 31-year-old David Green. I was bleeding and hurting and she answered the door and then I collapsed on the, their living room floor. 
Blood pours from a gunshot wound to the back of his shoulder as David pleads for help for his family. Evelyn immediately calls 911. When Grants Pass police officers race to the scene, they find David delirious from blood loss. I was fading in it. I had tunnel vision, so it, things would go dark. Everything was kind of in the background. Before he passes out, David begs police to go to his house to check on his wife, 32-year-old Lynn Green, and his young son, Nathaniel. Officers burst into the Green home next door and discover a terrible scene. There was a uh, body in the front room area, and uh, that turned out to be uh, Mrs. Green. She was deceased. Then the officers spot Nathaniel. The child was sitting in the high chair right in the dining room. He's been shot. Against all odds, Nathaniel is still breathing. The officers try their best to comfort the young child until an ambulance arrives. It's a heartbreaking start to a horrifying investigation. It's bad enough when an adult is uh, shot and killed or, or injured, but when somebody shoots a child, that's, that's really bad. Born in California on November 5th, 1957, David Green was part of a loving and strictly religious Seventh-day Adventist family. We're a Protestant organization founded in 1844, mainly on the belief in the whole Bible, Old and New Testament together. If the Bible doesn't talk about it or back it up, then it's not part of the church. Seventh-day Adventists have strict dietary restrictions and a belief in good and evil um, that perhaps is not um, mainstream Christian belief. In 1977, David was working towards a dental technician certification at La Sierra University, a Seventh-day Adventist school in Riverside, California. In chemistry class, he locked eyes with a beautiful freshman named Lynn Sapienza, who was studying to be a teacher. She was a very pleasant and happy, uh, cheerful person, giving and generous. And so I waited for her to get out of class one day, and I asked her out. Lynn was Roman Catholic, but they quickly found commonalities in their faiths and love in their hearts. The couple dated throughout college. When David graduated, he decided to move to Grants Pass, Oregon, where his parents had moved a few years earlier. I just left her. I think she was upset about that, and so we would communicate every day on the phone. Finally, she says, well, you know, if we don't do this, I'm gonna go out with other people. So I thought, oh, wow, okay, don't want to lose her. David asked Lynn to make a real leap of faith, marry him, and join him in Oregon. The couple tied the knot on April 12th, 1981. It was a beautiful day, beautiful sunny day. We were both just enjoying the day. It was like the perfect day with wind and the sun and, you know, and you're in love. After getting certified to teach, Lynn converted to the Seventh-day Adventist Church and made the pilgrimage to Grants Pass. Lynn Green was very highly thought of, not only within the SDA community, but within the community in general, in terms of her personality. David and Lynn joined a prayer group started by David's father. 
Well, you have to have guiding principles. We were trying to base it on truth, what the Bible says. Although a new member, Lynn soon became a charismatic leader. Lynn was sort of the rock of this group in terms of her ability to attract and interrelate with people. Everyone I ever came in contact with thought the world of Lynn Green. Soon, Lynn and David decided part of their spiritual path was to help some of David's childhood friends who had also moved to Oregon, Deborah and Sharon Halstead. David was brought up in the same church as Deborah and Sharon, as well as their brother Michael. The Greens and the Halstead families were about four generations of Seventh-day Adventists. Every now and then they would come over to our house and visit, play with the kids, you know, hide and seek or stuff like that. While David adhered to the church's teachings, the Halstead siblings drifted away as they became adults. They had their issues. They had a lot of kids in their family. Some didn't turn out as well as others. So we knew it was troubled. Michael worked as a ranch hand in Yamhill County, Oregon. Just kind of an ordinary guy, a little reclusive, but lived up here and, and worked up here on the ranch. Deborah had been tempted by the glossy allure of Hollywood. She used to work as more or less a secretary and stuff with recording contracts, studio work. At 27 years old, Sharon had defied her father and eloped with a blacksmith named Tex Shively, who was more than twice her age. The couple had two sons, Harry and Leo. My grandfather disapproved of the marriage in the first place. I believe age difference, the fact that my father was not uh, religious, he was not a Seventh-day Adventist. The couple's different backgrounds eventually drove them to divorce in 1984. Sharon and the boys moved to Grants Pass, Oregon to be near her parents, who had followed the Green family to that area. When we moved down here, she was really scrambling. We were getting some sort of help from the state. We're on low-income housing. Deborah felt unfulfilled in the City of Angels, so she moved from Los Angeles to the quiet of Oregon to live with her sister Sharon and the boys. That kind of created, in a sense, a little more stability. Used to having mom and dad, at least aunts here now. Hearing that the Halstead sisters were in town, David and Lynn Green's prayer group invited the women and Sharon's boys to join, offering emotional support. They would get together and pray. It was peaceful. Those meetings had a tremendous impact on my mom and my aunt. In 1985, David and Lynn welcomed little Nathaniel. When your first kid enters the world, it's, it's a rush, very emotional. Even with a young child in tow, Lynn faithfully poured energy into the prayer group. And by 1988, the group was still growing. We were all happy and content, you know? We had plans for him, just trying to be happy, you know? Those plans would be destroyed on David Green's 31st birthday, November 5th, 1988, when David and Nathaniel are shot and Lynn is murdered in their own home. As EMTs rush David and Nathaniel to the hospital, 
Detectives arrive to begin processing the scene. They start by examining Lynn's body. Because of the entry wound in the top of her head, we thought it might have been execution style. It's shocking when you learn that a child has been shot. It motivates you to work harder, to look harder into the answers for the case. What kind of evil monster could be behind such a brutal shooting? Coming up, detectives discover their first clue in a crime scene that becomes more and more bizarre. The only thing that was there was what was written in the bathroom on the wall. Those words, trusted Jesus. Very unusual. It's sort of out of a crime thriller. On November 5th, 1988, Grants Pass, Oregon police are working the scene of a heartless triple shooting. Lynn Green is dead, and her husband David and son Nathaniel are in critical condition at an area hospital. Checking Lynn's body, investigators note that in addition to the head wound, she was also shot in her chest. Gunpowder residue suggests that both shots were from point-blank range. The young mother had been executed. This was pretty shocking to the community to have a family shot, all three of them. You know, you're talking a population of about 15,000 people at that time. It's pretty, pretty shocking. Although the Grants Pass area is fairly rural, it is no stranger to crime due to its location on the only major highway between San Francisco and Seattle. At the time I was on the police department, we had one of the highest crime rates there was in the state of Oregon, mostly because we're on the I-5 corridor. You get a lot of people that are not locals that come into the area and commit crimes. Could a drifter have killed Lynn Green in a burglary gone wrong? As investigators process the scene for clues, they discover a cryptic message scrawled in the Green's bathroom. Written on the wall in there was uh, trust in Jesus. Looked like it was done with lipstick. Well, the writing on the wall is very unusual. We don't see that, at least in my experience. It's um, sort of out of a crime thriller. Why this would be written on the bathroom wall, and then you go up and you shoot people that live there didn't make any sense at all. A meticulous search turns up very little in the way of evidence. He had the projectiles from the shells that would be in the bodies of all three of the uh, victims. Other than that, then there wasn't very much there. And uh, Lynn's purse was missing. When detectives search for more clues among Bibles and other Seventh-day Adventist materials in the home, they discover Lynn Green's journal. We were able to obtain a diary that was about 175 pages, as I recall. And through the writings, we were able to sort of track the daily activities of the Greens. Inside, investigators find passages describing religious rituals and apocalyptic prophecies, which the Greens' prayer group must fight against. There will ultimately be an, an Armageddon-like issue, a battle between good and evil. And over time, there was an evolution 
of this concept of speaking with angels. People sit in a circle and there'll be one person that can speak with an angel and help other people out with their problems. They wanted to believe in this intermediary between God and them. Did these rituals have something to do with the trust in Jesus message in the bathroom? The religious overtones and what appear to be a motivation for this are very unusual. I don't even know that I've read anything that approaches this. As the, the investigation continues, more detectives are brought in and they are given specific things that they need to do. So other detectives go and talk to neighbors, uh, get the full information from them. Although one neighbor reports hearing gunshots, unfortunately, no one saw anything that could help investigators. Whoever attacked this family vanished without a trace and is still out there. I know there was a lot of anxiety about the neighborhood perhaps being endangered if there were crazed killers and, you know, some kind of additional danger to other people. Law enforcement wants to take the people into custody that are involved. Really bad. As investigators work, they get an update from doctors at Rogue Valley Medical Center about Nathaniel's condition. They went in from the back and removed the bullet from his spinal cord. He was on the edge for a while there. I believe he had stopped breathing at one point, so they had put him on a respirator. I had to lean on God to help me through this. But you can pray all you want that he fix things and make it all better, but ultimately it's up to him. So let it all go, let it go. Within that hour, they pulled the tubes out, and he started getting better from then on. Sadly, Nathaniel's life will be forever transformed. He's totally paralyzed, and now he's got a different life than most people, and it's not the life that most people want. That was hard. It was hell. Doctors tell investigators that David's injuries are also severe. He was shot in the back. Uh, I believe it's up more towards the shoulder area. The bullet, it injured a nerve in my left shoulder and the uh, part of the bullet ended up in my chest, right about here. Uh, the other parts in my lung cavity, pleural cavity. I lost two quarts and then my lung filled up with fluid. So I, it was a hard time breathing. Almost didn't make it. They didn't want to take the chance of removing the bullet, doing more damage than what has already been done. Doctors tell detectives that David is finally stable enough for a formal interview. He was in like a shock situation that he couldn't believe this actually took place. This isn't happening. I'm in a bad dream, I wanna wake up. You know, you can't escape the pain. You're in shock at first, you're numb. You can't think. Immediately, the loving father and husband struggles with what he did when he saw an intruder with a gun. I remember he was feeling huge remorse about his decision to leave the house. I don't know. You know, could I have grabbed the gun? Possibly. Would they have shot me while I grabbed it? Possibly. I don't know. I reminded him that there were no good choices at the time. 
Had he stayed, my belief is that he would have been shot and killed along with his family members. Had David chosen to stay, we might never have known who did it. It was really important that we get information from him. He's the only person that can tell us who the perpetrators were, who the people were. Coming up, as David shares his story, a disturbing motive for the attack begins to surface. It's not a mainstream Seventh-day Adventist belief. They were becoming warped and twisted in, in their thinking. They thought he was an oracle of some kind. And when he was giving instructions, they were coming from God. In Grants Pass, Oregon, investigators talk to David Green about the tragedy wrought on his family, which left his wife, Lynn, dead. David explains how the night of November 5th had begun. It had been my birthday, so we'd just gotten home from my folks' house. It was time for Nathaniel to go to bed. Lynn was reading a bedtime story. He was at the table. David tells detectives that just before 10 p.m., their friends Deborah and Sharon Halstead arrived unexpectedly. With the women were Sharon's two boys, nine-year-old Leo and 12-year-old Harry. The Greens knew the Halsteads through a long-term family relationship. The Halstead parents were good friends of the Greens' parents. David explains that the Greens and the Halsteads had a history of getting together as part of their prayer group. David admits that some of the group's beliefs were unorthodox. It's my understanding that the Green-Halstead prayer group would have been uh, not a mainstream Seventh-day Adventist belief. They got off into a splinter group from the church, and for some reason, they believed they had angels, and the angels were telling them instructions. Certain people in the group would have an angel they could talk to, and someone would bring up a problem they're having, and that person would ask the angel how to solve this problem, and then this person would tell them what the angel told them we were of the belief that everyone had the capability of doing it. You just had to focus on your thoughts. So talking to the angels was something that had been going on for quite some time. According to David, the Halsteads were convinced that nine-year-old Leo was especially capable of receiving messages from angels. I remember them coming over, oh, Leo can hear really well. They thought he was an oracle of some kind and when he was giving instructions, they were coming from God. David tells police that during earlier meetings, he and Lynn talked to the Halstead sisters about Leo. He and Lynn were concerned because, although most of the group recounted peaceful messages from angels, the messages the Halsteads claimed Leo received didn't sound like the God they knew. They came over to the house and was talking about things which I thought were pretty outrageous, stupid, from the mind of a, a nine-year-old. The Halsteads became involved in this belief system, a belief in this possession, extreme possession of people's souls or bodies by an evil, satanic sort of influence. 
According to David, the sisters claimed Leo could identify who was possessed by evil, and God gave them permission to steal from those people, or even destroy them. We disagreed on that. You know, you shouldn't judge people. Let God be that judge. And it's not your job to eliminate people. They were becoming warped and twisted in, in their thinking. We did our best to keep the boundaries, you know. We were trying to separate from them. They disappeared and got quiet for a while, and we were glad. As a SNAP listener, you know the world can be a dangerous and unpredictable place. With every case I learn about, I'm reminded how much I want to prioritize my vigilance and preparation. That's why I use and recommend Simply Safe Home Security. My cameras have alerted me about trespassers and even given me a sense of security knowing my home is safe even when I'm not there. Simply Safe offers protection for the whole house with advanced sensors that not only detect break-ins, but fires, floods, and other threats to your home and getting you the help you need for each scenario. The indoor security cameras offer privacy shutters to ensure physical privacy when you want it. Plus, you can try Simply Safe for 60 days risk-free. If you don't love it, return your system for a full refund. Simply Safe has given me and many of my listeners real peace of mind. I want you to have it too. Get 20% off any new Simply Safe system when you sign up for Fast Protect monitoring. Just visit simplysafe.com/snapped. That's simplysafe.com/snapped. There's no safe like Simply Safe. Wow! Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash Wondery and use code Wondery for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash Wondery. Code Wondery. David tells detectives that on November 4th, just the night before the shooting, the Halsteads visited the Green Home, and when they left... Lynn believed they had stolen her purse. Then, on November 5th, the night of the shooting, Sharon, Deborah, and the boys reappeared. David and Lynn were immediately wary. They were acting a little odd. They didn't want to sit down. They, they didn't want to make themselves comfortable. They were kind of milling around. Soon, Deborah and the boys asked to use the restroom. Three of them immediately go into the bathroom. Lynn is suspicious of them, goes into the bathroom. And then she saw the writings inside, trust in Jesus. Lynn says, I don't know what you guys are doing, but you need to leave. According to David, in one wicked instant, things went from strange to terrifying. Deborah grabs the phone so I couldn't make any calls. And that's when they produced the gun. Sharon had the gun, and Harry was just jumping around, hollering that the gun is loaded, the gun is loaded. The you know, first thought I thought was, okay, I need to tell someone what's going on. I didn't have a gun. We didn't have cell phones back then. David had known the sisters most of his life and never expected they would actually shoot anyone. He hoped he could get help before anyone got hurt. 
But I realized we needed help at that time. That was first and foremost. So I ran out to get the neighbor across the street. While I was running out the back door, they shot me. I fell to the ground. While I was running to the neighbors, heard gunshots, heard her scream. I heard them execute Lynn. David Green told us that after the shooting, he saw the Halsteads depart in a red truck. They were lifelong friends. They had known these people for a long period of time. He didn't understand why it took place. Following the interview with David Green, detectives raced to track down the Halstead family. They found out where the people lived, and they went to that location. They started a surveillance of that location there. At the Halstead house, investigators spot a truck matching the description of the one David saw after the shooting. They found a red Dooley pickup parked there, and they ran the license plate on that and had come back stolen. We learned that that was related to the homicide in Yamhill County. Grants Pass detectives call the Yamhill County Sheriff's Office, 230 miles to the north. We got the call that the truck had been located in Grants Pass, and that got the ball rolling. Yamhill County detectives explain their case began two days before the Green family shootings on November 3rd, when they got a 911 call from a ranch hand named Michael Halstead. Michael is the brother of Sharon and Deborah Halstead. Mike Halstead came home and he found his apartment all uh, messed up. There was condiments from the refrigerator just strewn throughout the apartment, on the walls, all over the floors and everything. And there was some messages indicating that maybe Michael might die. The writing that was found in Michael's residence, as I recall, said, you're dead, Michael, JC. Michael was so disturbed by the message that he went to check on his fellow ranch hand, 58-year-old Marston Lemke, who lived in a nearby trailer. And that's when he found Mr. Lemke in a trailer, uh, brutally murdered with multiple gunshot wounds. Although Marston Lemke had been killed, Yamhill detectives believed Michael was the original target due to the message on the wall. At the time, detectives in Yamhill did not know what the initials JC stood for. But now, as Grants Pass and Yamhill investigators share information, they believe it might stand for Jesus Christ. Time was of the essence in terms of trying to get the Halstead sisters under control. We have a stolen vehicle in front of the house that's been involved in a homicide just a few days prior to this shooting that took place this night. And so now you have at least two adults involved, two minor children. You don't know how many weapons are gonna be involved. You don't know what type of mental attitude they're going to have. Coming up, the Halstead sisters force police into a standoff. We ended up calling the SWAT team in. And the truth finally comes out 
when the other victims in this case, the killer's sons, get a chance to talk. It was the steady progression of my mother feeling that she was doing God's work in, in doing this. Investigators in Grants Pass, Oregon, have surrounded the home that murder suspects Sharon and Deborah Halstead share with Sharon's kids, Leo and Harry. We were concerned with uh, resolving the thing peacefully without danger to other people. We ended up calling the SWAT team in. They assisted in getting the uh, neighborhood cleared. At 5.30 a.m. on November 6th, the arrest team makes their move. We ended up calling them and telling them that the, the residence is surrounded by police and that we need to have people come out. What we didn't know at the time was whether any resistance would be met by officers who were making the arrests. The Halsteads came out along with the boys and offered no resistance. I expected them to at least be surprised, and there were just blank slates as far as I was concerned. The Halsteads were taken immediately into custody. At the police station, detectives tried to question Sharon and Deborah Halstead. I went in and tried to talk to them, and, and they wanted an attorney, so I just told them they were under arrest for murder in Yamhill County. Grants Pass authorities also charged the sisters with assault, attempted murder, and murder for the attack on the Green family. Sharon and Deborah might have the answers, but they're not talking. However, nine-year-old Leo and 12-year-old Harry are willing to share their heartbreaking story, accompanied by a court-appointed lawyer. According to the boys, it all began with an announcement that Leo had a gift. Lynn Green had said that I um, you know, had the power to see angels and, and talk to God. The boys say that after that, Sharon and Deborah began coaching Leo. I remember being asked all these questions, if there was an angel present or if I could see one now, just asked repeatedly over and over and over, and uh, I just wanted to go out and play. There was a lot of pressure on my brother. It seemed like our daily lives revolved around him being able to see and hear angels. My brother never, ever, ever said that he could see and hear. He was told that. And he's convinced that he could see and hear just simply by being told this by adults. He felt obliged to give them what they wanted. They're leading Leo on, Sharon especially, is leading Leo on as to what needs to be said. That's when they apparently came up with this concept of people being totaled. If you have demons in you, you're totaled. It started off with a justification that certain business owners were totaled. Anybody that was demonically uh, possessed, it was okay to steal from. It was as if the Halstead sisters decided to fabricate communication with God to play out their sociopathic fantasies. Investigators were able to verify that there were multiple episodes of 
tire slashing, stealing of motorcycles and an ATV, all with this justification that they were battling evil people. After that, this the whole mess just spiraled out of control. It's just a steady progression into worse to worse to worse. The steady progression of my mother allowing us to steal, stealing things, to assaulting people. And they were big leaps, but they were still leaps to murdering people. According to the boys, their mother and aunt coached Leo that their brother Michael was totaled. And so were the Greens. The boys say that on November 2nd, 1988, their mother and aunt drove them up to the Yamhill County farm where their uncle Michael worked. They believed that my uncle Mike was, was controlled by the devil. This person's controlled, so they're no longer human. I believe the basic idea was is that when we went, it was with the intention of my uncle being killed. When they arrived, Michael was not home. My mom was a little bit upset that he wasn't there, but the four of us trashed his place. And I wrote on the wall. Sharon and Deborah realized that although Michael wasn't home, Marston Lemke was. There was nobody else on the farm but him. Walked back to the trailer, and she knocked. And Marston Lemke opened the door and asked her what she wanted. And that's when my mother took the gun and shot him several times. He said, you shot me. Why did you shoot me? It's a horrible sound. Uh, he, was, he was screaming, very high-pitched sound. And my mother just continued firing until he was no more. Pretty horrible thing. I'd never heard or seen anything like that in my life. So it was very shocking. I was scared. The boys say that they stole the red pickup from the farm and fled in it parking the truck at home. That's when the sisters set their cruel sights on David and Lynn Green. After stealing Lynn's purse during a visit on November 4th, 1988, the family returned the next night with more devilish plans. She believed that they were totally controlled and possessed by the devil. I know that she was going there to do harm. My mother planned this out. This was premeditated murder. That's all there is to it. I recall the gun coming out and them sort of wrestling over it. And I recall seeing Dave Green run past. I recall seeing my mom go after him. She followed him to the back door and leaned out the back door and fired at him. I remember Lynn fighting. She was fighting to defend her son. I heard a shot, and Lynn fell to her knees, and sort of just like a reflex, a second shot. And that one hit her in the forehead, and there was just blood everywhere. Nathaniel was sitting at the table, started screaming and waving his arms, and my mom, she just turned and shot. 
And I was just in a daze, like it was, I don't know what just happened. After my mother did this, she went to McDonald's and ordered food. That's where my mother went afterwards, and then she went home and went to bed. It's just sort of sends a little chill up your neck, thinking that a person can do that and not have any remorse at all, none whatsoever. After shooting a little child, Leo and Harry were taken off by investigators to be placed in foster care. I think they were all tangled up in a pretty bizarre, malevolent web. Coming up, prosecutors fear the deadly sister duo might not serve prison time. We were worried that there might be a defense related to insanity and Sharon's children struggle with what their mother has become. She has yet to accept responsibility for her actions. In Grants Pass, Oregon, David Green has to break the news to his toddler son, Nathaniel, that the shooting that left Nathaniel paralyzed also killed the little boy's mother. Lynn Green. The hardest thing for me to do was to tell him Mama wasn't coming back. Mama was gone. That was the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. I had to do that in the ICU. He was all tied up with beeping, blinking things. He said his, he was resilient, so he would get through it. And, and many times, he's stronger than I am. The Greens' longtime friends, Sharon and Deborah Halstead, now await trial for the murder of ranch hand Marston Lemke and the triple shooting of the Green family. The alleged motive, a twisted belief that angels told them to do it. I believe that it was a sense of importance, this egotistical moral high ground feeling that she got, like she was doing God's work. In, in doing this. One of our concerns the whole time was how the defense might spin this delusional thinking that they were in. On January 20th, 1989, the Halstead's lawyers announced that they intend to pursue an insanity defense, which might get the sisters out of any prison time. They certainly knew the difference between right and wrong, and they were able to control themselves and conform to the law had they chosen to do that, but they didn't. However, on May 12, 1989, Deborah Halstead surprises everyone by changing her plea to guilty of conspiracy. Under the system that existed in Oregon at the time, Deborah got the full measure of the penalties she could have received for a conspiracy to commit murder. Deborah's sentence, 20 years in prison, with the possibility of parole in nine years. At the time, I wished it had been longer, but she had to live with herself, too. I hope she finds the right path in life. A few months later, on August 16, 1989, Sharon Halstead also makes a sudden change. On the condition that the death penalty is taken off the table, she pleads guilty to attempted murder, murder, and aggravated murder. 
Yet Sharon still refuses to take responsibility for the crimes. Unbelievably, she continues to place the blame squarely on the small shoulders of her then nine-year-old son, Leo. My mother did this and said that my brother directed her to do it. That is not true. We'd never wanted to go and kill anybody or hurt anybody. I don't know how she can minimize her role when she pulled the trigger. The judge wanted to make sure she never got out. He gave the maximum. She has a sentence of 75 years. That's, in essence, a, a death sentence for her. Sharon will never get out. Sharon's sons will forever carry the burden of the twisted things their mother made them do at such a young age. She has yet to apologize, as far as I know. And it's difficult, because on one hand, I, I have to love her for bringing me into this world. But at the same time, I despise her for what she did. If I could travel back in time and stop that from happening, I would. I really would. What happened with Marskin Lemke, a man that's working on a farm, minding his own damn business, and that happens to him, that's shocking. Just one night, one night, just like that. I detest everything she did. I think that the most tragic part is Nathaniel being stuck in a wheelchair. He was a kid sitting there eating his food and got shot and ended up in a wheelchair. Um, that's horrible. That's really horrible. Lynn was a loving, caring, sweet, gentle person, creative. She could have done so much good for children if she became a teacher. That was her love, to create a good legacy and a good mom, you know, doting. Uh, yeah, she could have benefited a lot of people. I don't think there's an answer sometimes. Evil exists, that's all I can say. Deborah Halstead was released from prison in 2008 and moved back to California. Sharon Halstead remains in prison. She has been denied parole multiple times, including in 2018. Nathaniel Green recently graduated from Southern Oregon University with a degree in communications. For more information on Snapped, go to Oxygen.com. Audible is the destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Allow your imagination to be piqued by stories that are brought to life through captivating sound design, eerie soundscapes, and dynamic performances. As an Audible member, you'll be able to keep your heart rate up month after month because you can choose one title a month to keep from the entire catalog, including the latest bestsellers and new releases. If you're in the mood for a shocking psychological thriller, check out None of This is True by Lisa Jewell. Embrace brand new exclusive thrillers from bestselling authors who are guaranteed to keep you gripped. New members can try Audible free for 30 days. Visit audible.com slash thrill or text thrill to 500-500. That's audible.com slash thrill or text thrill to 500-500.